All right, we are on page 35 of our, um, our booklet of chapter number one of Ephesians. And uh, I kind of did the review last week, so this week I'm just going to jump right in and go, okay? Um, <laughs> I know you're all going to laugh at me, but it is my intention to try to get through uh, page 42 today, so you're going to have to keep up with me now, all right? See, I like it when y'all laugh at me because then it makes me do it. Okay, so now, now, now y'all are going to have to keep up because I'm going to go. All right, so um, we're, we're talking about the book of Ephesians. We're, we're trying to get an understanding of, listen, at the end of the day when it's all said and done, done when, 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 when Paul writes the book of Ephesians, we need to understand the importance of what this book really is doing. This is the revelation of the dispensation of grace that we're living in right now, this is what the church is supposed to look like. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I would challenge anybody to argue that point if they really are just reading what he's saying in this book. This is the church, the Gentile church. Now listen, this is important. It's very important. The Gentile church did not start in Acts chapter 2. That's not when the church began, although I would be willing to bet you 95% of churches this morning would tell you that it was. And I'm just telling you, no, it, no, it isn't. I mean, if we're just going to let the scriptures be, the, be the, uh, the, 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 the revealer of what's actually going on, what was going on in Acts chapter 2 was a very, very different ballgame that was going on. They were all Jews. It was all meant to the Jewish community. And the, 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 the issue was, and what was being brought to light was the fact that they had crucified their Messiah. That's what actually, so when you start looking at all those spiritual gifts and everything and all those things that are going on there, hey, be careful. <laughs> be really careful because that wasn't given to the Gentile church. Matter of fact, I would highly argue that the gospel that we preach is not the same thing that they were preaching during that time. And if you say, oh, come on, yes, it was. I mean, it's the same thing. Jesus and the gospel. No, 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 no. And I'm going to prove that to you this morning. No, it was not what Jesus was preaching, what John the Baptist was preaching, what the uh, uh, early apostles and disciples were preaching was the gospel of the kingdom. And you say, well, what's the difference? The difference is, is the kingdom of heaven where Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David that's what was being preached. That's what was being, come on right in, come on, come on in. We're okay. We even, got, we even got a notebook for you. Look at that. Huh? There you go. All right, listen, we need to understand that. And, and, and if you don't agree with that, I'm fine with that. Listen, I'm just saying, but what you're going to find real fast is some things don't make a whole lot of sense of what Paul's saying if that's not true. And I'm going to kind of try to prove that to you this morning. Um, listen, number one, as Paul is revealing this, this dispensation of grace, which, by the way, I did not call it that. Paul did in chapter number three of Ephesians. If you, if, if you, if you want to take a quick little gather over to chapter three, you'll see that he calls it that in, in uh, uh, the, the second verse. It says, if you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which is given to me, to you. Did you hear? Paul says it was the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me. Now, wait a minute. Hold everything. Because Paul didn't become a Christian until Acts chapter 9. Paul didn't go into Arabia until after that. Do you see why I say be careful with those first eight chapters now? Because the dispensation of grace hadn't even been given to Paul yet. So how could they be preaching anything that has to do with, quote-unquote, the church age? They weren't. That's what they weren't. There was a transition going on. And if you don't understand that, many, many, many churches have gotten lost in those first eight chapters. And we teach a lot of false doctrine uh, based on that. Okay, uh, I'm not going to get into all that right now, but uh, we did that when we did our Acts series, if you all remember that. Uh, but, 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 but listen, it, it is that important because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, and I hope you all will agree with me, hey, listen, I don't care what the consensus is. 
I don't care what most churches teach. I don't care what the church down the street teaches. I don't care. I don't care what we teach. If it isn't this and what this says. Because if it isn't this and what this says, then, then we really become the authority over God. And I think that's dangerous ground. We better not become the authority over him. We better let him be the authority over what it is we have our faith in. Because listen, whether we believe so or not, there is going to be an accounting for it. There really is. And I'm not saying you're not saved. I didn't say that. What I am saying, though, is, is this stuff is critical. And I know that in our, especially here in the United States, man, we're very good at being just very lukewarm about everything. Eh, you know, God will just deal with it in the end. Yes, he will. And you better, you, we better make sure we understand just how serious God is going to take his word. Matter of fact, let me just tell you what he says. He has raised his word above his very name. What do you think of that? What do you think when God says, I have, raised, I have magnified my word, Psalm 138, right? I have magnified my word above my very name. How serious do you think God takes his name? Now magnify it. <laughs> what he says then, for me, it, it, it isn't even a matter of it should matter. It must matter. It must and, and I would say he's very, very clear. Every word needs to matter. Proverbs 30, every word of God is pure. Every word matters. You say, why are you hammering that so much? Because look at, look what uh, uh, Paul says here in Romans chapter 16, 25. And, and I want to start this off by saying the gospel that Paul is speaking of here is referred to as my gospel. Look what Paul says uh, in Romans 16, 25. He says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to... Everybody read that. What does that say? My gospel. We got, that ought to make us all stop and go, Huh? My gospel? What's he talking about, my gospel? Isn't my gospel the same gospel that Jesus was preaching? No, it wasn't. And we might go, wait a minute, that don't even sound, that don't even make any sense. It does make sense if you understand that there's a kingdom that was offered physically to Israel and there was promises made to the kingdom of God that are different. If you understand that, then it does make perfect sense that something was different. What John the Baptist was baptizing people in the River Jordan for was for the what? Remission of sin. I don't want remissions of sin. If you want remissions of sin, have at it. The problem with the remissions of sins is it can come back. I want, what well, Paul was preaching, forgiveness of sin. Where my sins were nailed to his cross as far as the east is from the west. And when I come to him and put my trust and faith in him and receive him according to my sins are forgiven. They'll never come back. Eternally secure. This is why a lot of people teach that you can lose your salvation. They don't understand what Paul's gospel was, and they mix it with what the kingdom gospel is. In the kingdom gospel, you did need to endure because there was no Holy Ghost that moved up inside of someone and saved them for eternity. That's not how it worked in the Old Testament. That's not how it worked for the Jews. That's not how it worked in Acts chapter 2. Do you hear what I just said? That's not how it worked. There was something different going on. There was a transition taking place. What those early, the, the, the apostle to the circumcised, isn't that what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 when he's talking about Peter? He was the apostle to the circumcision and I was the apostle to the uncircumcised. Something, a different message for different people. It's very important we understand there are three people groups in the Bible. Right? This is, this is what Paul was telling Timothy over in 2 Timothy. Study. To show thyself worthy and approved unto God, rightly dividing. If he's saying rightly divide, what does that mean? You can wrongly divide. How you rightly divide your word of truth first and foremost starts with the fact you need to know who was being written to. 
If you don't know who was being written to, I promise you, you are going to wrongly divide the book real fast. That's why all these false doctrines have entered into the church house today. We need to know. Paul's very clear about it in 1 Corinthians 10.32. There is the Jew, there is the Gentile, and there is the church of God. Which one is being written to? Okay? And listen, you go, well, how do you figure that out? It's not that hard to figure out because most of the time the book tells you. Right? I mean, Hebrews. Who do we think Hebrews might have been written to? I'm going to guess the Jew. What do you think? You think we might be good there? How about the book of James? How many churches I've seen try to pull doctrine out of James? I mean, it says right off the bat. It says right out the gate to the 12 tribes, to the 12 tribes written abroad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who do you think that was written to? Matthew. Who do you think Matthew was written to? It's to prove Matthew, the gospel of Matthew was written to prove that Jesus is the king. It's not written to us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, be very, very careful that you don't apply church doctrine before Jesus dies on that cross. Because if you do, now I'm not, now Paul, Paul's very clear on this. Paul says, all scripture is written for our learning. I didn't say that there isn't valuable lessons we can learn. All scripture is, is written for that. What I am saying, though, is if you start applying doctrinal statements to the church that was never meant for the church, that's where you're going to run into trouble. And you say, why does this matter? The biggest reason why this matters, whether you understand it or you don't understand it, or whether you get the ins and the outs of it or you don't, the biggest problem is what we have done now is we have started to... It, it leads to replacement theology. That's what it will lead to every single time. And do you understand what a replacement theology is? It's the church has replaced Israel. And I'm telling you right now, with all that I got in me, if the church has replaced Israel, this book lies. God's not a promise keeper. And if God made a promise, and if he didn't make, if he made promises to Israel that he's not going to keep, and you think maybe he could have made promises to us that he's not going to keep? And I've got a problem with that, and I hope you do too. No. No. Number one, God has never been proven to be a liar. God has never been proven not to keep his promises. He has always kept his promises, every single one of them. And so let's just let the book be the truth. And let every man, I think Paul says something like that, right? And let every man be a liar. Let the book tell us the truth. So he, he, he's talking over here in Romans 16 again. He's talking about uh, this, this my gospel. And he says, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Now, now look, which was kept secret since the world began. Now, does that mean that the secret of the lamb being slain was, 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 was not already put in effect before? The world began? No, God already knew how this was all going to end. He was going to rise from the dead, just like Scripture said, before Scripture was ever even put in print, before the world began. So, so no, yes, that was the key to it all. No questions asked. However, nobody in the Old Testament knew it. None of those apostles knew it. While Jesus was here, and even after Jesus was here, because it wasn't until Jesus came to Paul in Galatians chapter 1, which would have been the same time frame of Acts chapter 9, that it was revealed. Does everybody understand that? I mean, it's so, it's so, it's so simple, yet it's so fundamental, and yet so many people don't understand it and are missing it for whatever reason. Paul calls it, I'm back in your workbook here, my gospel, because he is the one that received it from Jesus Christ. And if you went back to Galatians chapter 1, you would see that. No one could have preached it before Paul because he had not yet received it. Y'all got that? Okay. Uh, so the logical question is then, what gospel was Jesus, John, and the rest of the apostles preaching before Paul? Now watch, Matthew 4.23, I gave you just some examples. 
And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And, and by the way, that gospel of the kingdom was in all healing, all manner of sickness, all manner of disease among the people. See, because the gospel of the kingdom is physical. Y'all got that? Okay. And uh, Mark 16, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Then Jesus answered, saying unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. Can you see the kingdom of God? I mean, Paul says you can't see the kingdom of God, right? So, so, so he says, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. To the poor, the gospel is preached. And see, to an unlearned individual, you would look at that and go, oh, well, that's the same gospel Paul's preaching. Because you would just take that word gospel and just apply it everywhere now. Hold on, time out. Understand, first of all, what the word gospel means. The word gospel simply means good news. Okay, now if you apply that right and go, okay, was there good news to the Jews? Yes. Are there good news to the Gentiles? Yes. Does the good news to the Jews have to be the same good news that was given to the Gentiles? No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> okay, it's different good news. Important to note that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all written before Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. The only gospel that, wasn't, that was written after the book of Ephesians was the gospel of John. All the first three, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, were all written before Ephesians. So with that being said, uh, as we, as we uh, 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 go through this, what gospel was Jesus preaching? The word gospel, as, I, as I've already said, simply means good news. And a serious Bible student will understand that the gospel which Jesus and his disciples were preaching is a different gospel than Paul was preaching. Jesus, John the Baptist, and his disciples were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This is a Jewish kingdom where Christ will sit on the throne physically. And guess what? Has he... That's what the second coming and the millennial reign of Christ is all about. When he returns, he is going to return to take what is rightfully his, the throne of David. Is that physical or spiritual? That's physical. It's going to really happen. And once you understand that, the book of Revelation starts to make a little more sense. You, don't realize, you start to realize, well, maybe the book of Revelation isn't as all apocalyptic as we think it is. No, it's not. It's the preparation for the coming of the king. It's the tribulation period that's taking place. After the church is taken out, once you understand that, you'll understand why there's no way the church could be in here and be here during the tribulation period, where a lot of churches do teach. They do. They'll teach a mid-trib rapture or a late-trib rapture, or most churches don't even teach a rapture at all. They're amillennial. What they mean is, is that the church is ruling now. And I'm going to say, by the problems now, and the way that most people will get around the problems that they run into when they teach stuff like that, listen, I have talked to a lot of people. I have had this conversation with a lot of people about this subject. And I'm telling you, the way that most of them get around it is they'll start to spiritualize verses. Because that's the only way around it. Because if you just listen to what it's actually saying, there's no way. That's why for me, and everybody's got to make their own decisions, but for me, I've just come to the place where I realize that I'm not smart. And when it comes to the things of God, I certainly am not smart. Let's just let God tell it like it is. And so the Bible means what it says, and it says what it means. And if we just believe what it says, then I don't think we're going to have any problems. However, the problem we have is, let's be honest, we have a problem believing what it says. Yes. Try having that conversation with a Je when a Jehovah Witness comes knocking at your door. What does that say right there? Well, that's not what, what they, that's not what it really means. Well, if that's not what it really means, then who becomes the authority of the Bible? Huh? Who becomes the authority? I just say that's what it really means. And when Paul says my gospel, that's what it means. It's his gospel because it was different than what those apostles and Jesus was preaching back in the time of Jesus. It just, it was different. That's why he's calling it my gospel. And by the way, you start comparing the two and you go, whoa, yeah, it really is different because they're talking about two different things. If you go to Acts 2.38 and you go, 
Uh, listen, a lot of people will tell you you need to be water baptized to be saved. And they'll use Acts 2.38 as their, their point. And this is what I'm going to say. Is the question that they asked right there, what must I do to be saved? Was that the question that was asked by the Jews? No. That's not. Matter of fact, a lot of versions take that verse and mess it all up. Okay? No, they're not asking what must. They're asking. Peter just spent almost half a chapter talking about how you crucified your Messiah. And so what did the Jews ask? Then what must we do? We crucified our Messiah. What must we do? Is the question, what must I do to be saved? No, the question of what must I do to be saved comes in, it comes in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer. That's a different question. <laughs> to a, to, by the way, to who? The first question was to the apostle Peter for crucifying the Messiah. The second question was to the Apostle Paul. Different answers. <laughs> Different questions. And listen, that's just one example. I could give you hundreds of them if we had the time. Paul is preaching the gospel of the death. Well, this is a Jewish kingdom where Christ will sit on the throne. Did I already say that? All right, well, I said it again. <laughs> Paul is preaching the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. And that through Jesus Christ, the penalty for sin can be paid for. And that Christ can now rule, not as the king of the Jews, but the rule as the king of you. And that is found in the kingdom of God. Note, during the tribulation period, there will be another gospel preached. Which is the everlasting gospel. That will compromise the coming together of both kingdoms. What is important to note that this is a different gospel, again, being preached during a different dispensation. And so you'll see that in Revelation 14, 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. So what is Paul's gospel that we need to trust and believe in? Very, very clearly defined in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also, I, I would really pay attention to what he's saying right there, ye are, what? That's it, man. You want to know what biblical salvation is? You want to know how to get biblically saved? I, I'm just going to say, with everything I got in me, well, maybe this is it right here. Maybe this is what we need to listen to right here. Paul says it like this in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto... What? Say that again. Unto what? Well, then, no disrespect to what I see going on in most churches. Well, then why aren't we preaching that? You say, yeah, they are. Are they? <laughs> listen, listen, if I took a bottle of water, right, Right now, I hope, is that 100% pure water? So, 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 so this would be the gospel. 100% pure, exactly unadulterated the way it should be. What if I took a little cyanide and threw it in there? Can you see it? Would you be able to know that there's cyanide in here? If I took a drink of it, what's going to happen? What I'm going to say is, can something be 99% true? I say no. 99% true is 100% false. It's not right. It's either truth or it's not. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So what I would say is, everybody to each their own. You put your, you put your confidence in your rest and whatever you want to put in I'm going to put my confidence and my assurance and my rest in this book. <laughs> and when I read 1 Corinthians 15, that's what it says. It says, the gospel by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So that means we can believe in a gospel in vain. And if you don't believe that that is true, be very careful because Galatians makes the, Paul really hammers it home there. Says, listen, if anybody, myself, an angel from heaven, anybody come preaching another gospel than which we declared unto you, 
This is how Paul said it. Ready? Let him be accursed. Paul took this pretty seriously. He understood the importance of this. Why don't we? Well, it's just a good Bible-believing church. I say a good Bible-believing church is a church that preaches this book. And if anything is not according to this book, I'd say that's not a good Bible-preaching church. Preaching one or two ver verses out of, a book is, out of this book is not a good Bible-preaching church. Oh, but man, everybody just like, well, well you've got to feel the spirit in there. Oh, there might be a spirit moving. Paul warns of another spirit. I just say, hey, man, let's just get to it, man. Let's be real. We're living in a day and time where I don't think we got a lot of time left. Okay? And at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, either I can let what my opinion trump this book or I can let this trump That just tongue-tied me right there. I can let this book trump my opinion. Which one's it going to be? And, and here's the thing that I love about God. You got to love him. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. God doesn't sit in the middle ground. You want to know what God thinks about the middle ground? Just go read Revelation 3 for a little while. Paul preached, uh, Paul, Peter preached, uh, Peter, wow. Robert preached a whole, a whole uh, message on, on, on the, uh, the, the Laodicean church not too long ago. What did Jesus think about that Laodicean church? It's lukewarm. He threw it up out of his mouth, Jesus does. Oh, Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, it's written in the book. He said, I will spew you out of my mouth. I don't know about you, but do you want to make Jesus sick of your Christianity? I don't want to make Jesus sick of my Christianity. When are we going to take this stuff serious? I'm just wondering. Because I guarantee you, he took it serious. He took it so serious that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's how serious he took it. How about us? How about us? Paul adds a third dimension, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15. And, and I say that only in the aspect that it's further explained in Galatians when he talks about uh, receiving, uh, which, which, which we need to understand. Okay, because here, listen, now, 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 please, man, we're talking about salvation right now. I don't know that there's anything more important than what we're talking about from your, from your or my aspect, okay? Uh, for God to get what is the most important thing, which is what the book of Ephesians is trying to explain, because the purpose of the church is not for you. The purpose of the church is that he gets his glory, okay? And for him to get his glory, okay, for, for God to get it in its full is when we all follow him. And we don't follow us. So this receiving is an important part of it. It's not just believing in the gospel. Okay, well, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he was buried. I believe he raised the Great. We're, we're, we started the game. But do know, the devils believe that too and they tremble. All you have put yourself on by believing that is the same. You're on the same ground now as devils. Are the devils going to be saved? No. You say, whoa, 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 pastor, what are you saying? I'm just saying what this book says. Okay, Paul says it like this in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with... Well, now, that has to be a major... I hope it is anyways. What? I'm crucified with Christ? Wait a minute. No, 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 no. Christ died for me. I'm good. I just believe that he died for me and I'm good. Well, Paul didn't say that. Paul said you need to receive because if you didn't receive, then you can believe in vain. So what's he saying here? He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you need to be baptized to be saved? I say 100% yes. Not by water, though. You need to be baptized by the Holy Ghost. That's salvation. That when you die to self on the cross, you put who you are on that cross so that he can kill it. You say, what? 
what? If you don't believe me, just go read Romans 6. <laughs> All you need to read is about the first 10 verses, and you're going to see that what I'm preaching right now is not my opinion on the matter. It's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Okay, listen, you need to be buried with him in baptism. What? Oh, what is a baptism picture? It pictures a death. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. All things become new. Do y'all get that? Listen, this is a very serious subject. We've got to get it right. We really do. And then I would say Paul has a fourth dimension in 2 Corinthians 7, which he talks about repentance. For godly sorrow... Worketh repentance to what? <laughs> man, I'm just telling you, man, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. And at the end of the day, I'm not the judge. Okay? So, so my opinion on the matter, I guess, does not matter. But I will say this. I get very, very nervous when I'm listening to other things that are going on in other churches and when I hear them start to present the gospel, and things like sin, things like repentance, you know, you know, key components like that are left out. And it's just, God loves you. He wants to take care of you. Now, listen, he loves you right where you are. He loves you for who you are. I mean, even though but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ, died for, Christ doesn't love you for who you are. You know, pastor, that's mean. No, I'm just telling you the truth. He does not love you for who you are because who you are is a dead in body sinner. That's what you are. Christ can't even be in the presence of that in all of his glory. So even if he could love you for who you are like that, you still got a problem. Christ doesn't love you for who you are. Christ loved you in spite of who you were. And he has something so much better for you that he wants you to be. And if you don't believe that, then just take out half of Paul's writings. Because that's what Paul's trying to explain to us. Listen, this is... This, bow your head and say a prayer. I think it's dangerous ground. Because you know what happens... I've seen it way too many times. These people all bow their head and they'll say a prayer, and the prayer has maybe 50%, if we're lucky, of even what the message is supposed to be. And then, the, and then the, now look up. If you said that prayer, raise your hand. Over here, over here, over here. Come on, y'all been there. Y'all been in stuff like this. Right over there, right over here, right over here. Oh, hey, hey, hey. And you know what? Three weeks later, that person's not in the church anymore. You never found them again. Did they really get saved? Did they really get saved? Were they really transformed by the Spirit of God? I'm going to say no. And I'll tell you the problem was, some preacher at a pulpit told that person they were saved. They thought they got their ticket punched, and they're free to do whatever they want now, and they're right back in the world doing whatever they want. And I said, hey, hey, I'm not the, I'm not God. What my opinion says doesn't matter. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Something ain't right with that. Transformation from that very moment. Now that I still have problems, now that I still have problems, and there's other things that I have with God, but God, and as you're banging on my door, saying, What you doing? What you doing? What you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? You can suppress him and leave him. I believe that's. Does that mean you can do that? Does that mean you can do that to the point of losing your salvation? Judgment's coming one way or the other. 
we are going to be held accountable to it. And I promise you, I promise you, I won't be your judge. Your next-door neighbor won't be your judge. Your wife or your husband won't be your judge. Your friends won't be your judge. This church won't be your judge. The famous church down the street won't be your judge. The famous author won't be your judge. I'm going to tell you right now what's going to be your judge. Right there. You say, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember Jesus said, the word that I spoke will judge you in the last day. This is your judge right here. And if God's going to use his word as the judge, I'm just going to ask a serious question. Don't we think that this book better become our judge right now? I don't want to go to the test and not know what, what I'm going to be judged on. How about you? So, in the biblical, so then the biblical correct order of salvation goes something like this. Hear the gospel of truth. Paul's gospel, believe and trust what you heard, repent of your sins and turn away from them. You receive what you heard by dying on the cross, being buried and resurrecting with him, and thus becoming a new man in Christ. At that point, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? Now what? Now I'm free to do whatever I want. Huh? My ticket's punched. I'm good. I can do whatever I want now. Woo! Thank God. The grace of God. Oh. How many times have you heard this? Hey, listen, can I just tell you something? Make sure you understand what grace is. Make sure you understand what grace is. Grace is not God loves you. That is not what grace is. We've turned it into that today. And how many times? Oh, oh, I'm so thankful. Yeah, I'm still a sinner. I still do things I'm not supposed to do. But hey, if I just confess my sins, he's faithful and just to, to cleanse me all of my sin. And I'm, I'll just keep moving on. Whoa, 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 time out. I got a question. If that's true, then why does Paul say that we need to work out our own salvation? If that's true, then, man, we better pull out 2 Corinthians 7, 1 right out of the Bible. Yeah. Just, pull, just tear those, that verse right out of there. No, 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 listen. Listen, if that's true, pull Galatians 5, 1 right out of the Bible. But Paul says, listen, don't use liberty for an occasion for the flesh. He says, God forbid should you continue in, in sin. No. No, you weren't saved for you. Did y'all hear what I just said? For by grace. I mean, we're Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to hit that, Lord willing, someday. <laughs> when we get there, for by grace you are saved through faith. And then not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Let us any man should boast. And we all heard that verse, and we all go, amen, praise the Lord. Uh, read verse 10, though. <laughs> How about that? Why do we stop there? Verse 10 was the purpose of the grace. Verse 10 says we are created in Christ Jesus as his workmanship created unto good works. Are you saved by works? No. James says it like this, but you'll know my faith by my works. We are, we are saved for a purpose. And that purpose is so that you become an ambassador to him, the one who saved you. Because you now have, I love how Paul says this, you don't just have a calling. You have a high calling. What's the high calling? Well, listen, if you don't even know what it is, are you going to perform it? Are you going to do it? That's why Ephesians is so very important to understand because he's explaining all this stuff to us. We have a high calling. There is no room here for uh, letter B for water baptism, good works, saying prayers, ceremonies. There is no second blessing of the sanctification after salvation in this passage. Sorry, Pentecostal churches. Incorrect. Eh, wrong. No. You get the blessings that I got on that board right there. You get those right there. The day you called on him as your Lord and Savior, the day you repented of your sin, the day you received him and he came up and moved inside of you, you got all of them. Now, whether you're employing all of them, that becomes up to you. Because the day you got justified is different than what sanctification is. There are three levels of salvation, and we're going to talk about that as we go. Listen, we are, letter C, sealed by God's dwelling in us. Paul says, know you not that you're the temple of God 
and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Listen, there's no other dispensation that has ever been able to say that. And once the church is removed, the people in the tribulation period cannot say that. That's why David in the psalm says, don't take your spirit from me. Because he understood he wasn't indwelt by the spirit. We gain the spirit of promise by faith, not works. I think I just said that. In the Old Testament, men did not have the indwelling spirit that was sealed in them. They could not of, or this mystery of Christ would not have been much of a mystery, would it have been? In the Old Testament spirit, in the Old Testament, the spirit came upon men based on obedience in works. Is that how it happens here? No. We don't get saved based on obedience and works. If we did, then pull Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 out. No, we don't. That's not how we get saved. We get saved by belief, by receiving, by repenting, and what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we get saved, man. It's, it's, it's that simple. Yeah, just like the devil does. He's made it that hard. All you got to do is twist it just a little bit. He's very subtle. And just twist it a little bit. And all of a sudden, people are going to a devil's hell thinking they were going somewhere else. And that's sad to me. David says in Psalm 51:11, Cast me not away from my presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Do you see why people teach you can lose your salvation now? See, if you don't understand what we're talking about right now, this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense unless we can lose our salvation. Well, no, because David didn't get saved the same way we do. <laughs> okay. Uh, Judges 16, 12, uh, 20, excuse me, says, and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him, talking about Samuel. The Galatians thought it was a law that kept them saved, that gave them the blessings and the inheritance. This negated the point of Christ dying on the cross so that through Christ he can give freely the promise that was given to, uh, going to be given by faith. If Old Testament salvation is inherently the same as New Testament, and you'll hear things like this, well, the Old Testament saints just look forward to the cross. How can you look forward to something that was still a mystery? I'm just asking. How? How could they look forward? If that's true, if that's true, then how come when the disciples were all with Jesus and Jesus would talk to them about, after three days, I'm going to go up into Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me, what would they end? They didn't understand what he had to go do. They didn't get it. Well, the reason why they didn't get it is because it hadn't been revealed yet. <laughs> how about that? It doesn't negate that he had to do it. It just means they didn't understand it. And why would they? It wasn't for them per se, at that time. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Makes sense to me. <laughs> if Old Testament salvation is inherently the same as New Testament, then the point of Galatians is not needed. And I would, I would argue, pull out Hebrews 9 and 10 right out of the Bible now. Because that doesn't, it's not needed either. It's the point of what he's trying to explain. This is the point Paul is trying to prove. And by the way, I think, I think Paul wrote Hebrews. But again, Abraham received the promise before the law. Would that be correct? Exodus 20 is when the law was given. When did Abraham receive the promise? Genesis 12. <laughs> so, so you can't, don't mix the two. I've heard so many people say, oh, you see tithing, you can't tithe, that's the law. Abraham tithed. How about that? What you going to do with that? Well, well, yeah, exactly. Well, what? Well, he was a Hebrew. <laughs> but it was before the law, regardless. You got to do something with that, man. This is the point Paul's trying to prove. Abraham received the promise before the law, before circumcision, by faith, in which he believed it, and it was counted for righteousness. If you look back at Genesis 15, I think, it says, and, and Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. It does not say, and Abraham believed God, and Abraham was saved. No, he was counted righteous for believing what God said, but he wasn't saved. 
You say, whoa, what happened when Abraham died? Well, that's what Luke 16 is all about, man. And understand it. Where did Abraham go when he died? Where did David go when he died? Where did all the righteous go when they died? Did they go right to heaven? No, they couldn't. You say, why not? Because their sin hadn't been paid for yet. Where did they go? The Bible calls it Abraham's bosom, or Jesus called it paradise. And what did Jesus say to that thief? This day, this day you will be with me in paradise. I got a question. When Jesus hung his head and he gave up the ghost because no one was going to take it from him, when he gave up the ghost, where did he go? Did he go to heaven? No. He was buried. You want to know what he did when he was buried? He went to hell. Do you understand that? And if you don't, then, then you should. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gets into that a little bit. He starts talking about that a little bit. Peter talks about it a little bit over there in Acts chapter 3 or 4, somewhere in that area. Psalm 16 predicted it. <laughs> okay. You will not leave my soul in hell. Well, leave my soul in hell so you can go to hell and get out of hell? How does that happen? No, no. Luke 16, Jesus gives us the full understanding of this all. There was a compartment in hell where all the Old Testament saints who were counted as righteous went to as a holding place. Are you talking about purgatory? No, I'm not talking about purgatory at all. That's not what I'm talking about at all. No, go read Luke 16 and Jesus will describe, there was a great gulf between hell and Abraham's bosom or paradise. This is where they went until, until Jesus died on the cross and sin was now paid for. Then, Ephesians 4, Jesus led captivity captive and he went down and he preached to the souls in prison I think I'm preaching Bible right now. And he preached to the souls in prison. And when he was done doing that, and he resurrected, and he came back up, and he took them with him. And he led captivity captive. And then he gave gifts to men. And you want to know what those gifts he gave to men were? Well, it started with apostles. Then it became prophets. Then it became evangelists. And then he gave some pastors and teachers. Did he give everybody pastors and teachers? No. Because we weren't in the dispensation of grace yet. Pastors and teachers wasn't until the dispensation of grace was given. And then he gave some pastors and teachers. For what? Why? What is the purpose of a pastor? Well, the pastor is just supposed to preach me to God and make me feel good. No, that's not what the pastor is supposed to do. If you, don't, if you want to know what the pastor is supposed to do, go to Ephesians chapter 4 and read the very next verse. Because there's three things a pastor is supposed to do. Y'all see that right there? Till we all come in the unity of the faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a what? A perfect man. <laughs> Why? Because we're supposed to be maturing in our faith. And, and unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Listen, there is uh, uh, the work of the ministry. There's the perfecting of the saints. There's the edifying of the body. That's what a pastor is supposed to be doing. And let me just tell you, to do it, it's going to hurt. It's going to. Why do we get so offended by that? I laugh at myself. Yeah, not going to happen. Okay, here we go. Uh, I really, I really do have good intentions. I do. If, if, if you're trying to catch up, I said I was going to get to page 42. Not going to happen because we got six minutes. All right, here we go. This did not make uh, 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 Abraham born again. This made him counted as righteous so that when he died, he did not go to hell waiting for the lake of fire. Rather, he went to paradise waiting for his redemption. And by the way, I don't have time to kind of show you all the scriptures to kind of interweave how this all worked. But listen, Abraham's bosom was in hell. It was a compartment in hell. Did people, were people suffering there? No. Read Luke 16. No, they were not. Okay. But, but that's where it was. 
And when Jesus went down and he led captivity captive, he took paradise and he brought it up with him. That's why when you get to uh, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I saw a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether he was in body or out of body, I cannot tell. But he caught me up to the third heaven where paradise is. You see what happened? He took paradise and he brought it up with him. Man, if we just let the Bible teach us, we don't have to worry about what's right or wrong. It is the key to understanding that the Abrahamic covenant provided... Now, now, now I don't know that what I'm about to say is... This is pretty important. Make sure you understand this because here's the line that gets crossed with believing that the church has been replaced by Israel. Or, excuse me, the Israel has been replaced by the church. You've got to understand that the Abrahamic covenant... Okay, and how many times, be honest, be honest, how many times in churches does anybody ever teach you about the Abrahamic Covenant? I'm just going to say, okay, the Abrahamic Covenant is probably the absolute most important covenant. We better make sure we understand. Because a lack of understanding of the Abrahamic Covenant is going to shoot us down a very, very wrong path. It's very important to understand what that Abrahamic covenant was. And let me show you why that is. It is key to understand that the Abrahamic covenant provided physical promises to the seed of Abraham. And if you want to know where you want to go to get the Abrahamic covenant, in its nutshell, Abraham, Abraham, yeah, okay. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, 1 through 3 and verse 7. That'll get you a good start on what the Abrahamic covenant is. Okay, but, but listen. There was physical promises given to Abraham's seed. Those physical promises, okay, are different than the spiritual promises that were given to Abraham's seed. Did y'all hear what I just said? The physical promises was a land. And who gets the land? Listen, if you don't think that what I'm saying matters right now, then you really don't understand what's going on over in the Middle East and what's coming, what, where World War III is about to come from. Okay? This is what we're talking about, man. It's because of this, it's going to lead us to the rise of Antichrist. So do you think, I mean, do you think anything I just said right there matters? But I'm going to tell you, man, I think 90% of the church is blind to it. They don't even have a clue. Why? Because we just ain't preaching this stuff. I, I heard... Uh, Pretty prominent pastor, pretty prominent pastor here in Jacksonville. Got big churches. A lot of people go to their churches. And I, I heard that we don't preach prophecy around here because it divides. I mean, Jesus just said in Revelation 19.10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of. But we don't teach prophecy around here because it divides. Well, let me just tell you something. If you don't teach prophecy, let me, I'll guarantee you, you aren't preaching proper doctrine. I'll guarantee it. You say, why is that? Because proper doctrine is taught through prophecy. So go ahead. Don't preach it. Don't. And you're sending your people down a very wrong path. Thousands of people going to these churches this morning thinking that they're good. I certainly hope they are. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I'm just saying, no, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Something ain't right, man. It is key to understand the Abrahamic covenant provided physical promises of the seed of Abraham and spiritual promises through his seed for not only the nation of Israel, but also believing Gentiles. The Holy Spirit of promise that was promised by the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 16, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. Well, now, if the people in the Old Testament are saved the same way than the people in the New Testament, why is Jesus saying this? It don't make any sense. The Comforter already should come upon them. They already should have the Comforter. Why, why, why does Jesus need to go away, be crucified on the cross, for the comforter to come unto them? Y'all with me? I mean, just read what it says, man. It don't make any sense. And you say, why are you, why are you hammering this so hard? Because I'm telling you, most churches teach this. 
Most churches will teach you, if you know what you're looking for, and if you know how to dig through what the, what's going on and what they're saying, most churches are going to teach that the Old Testament people can say the same way. They look, they look forward to the cross. We look backward to the cross. Praise the Lord, amen, everybody gets saved the same way. And you know what happens when everybody gets saved the same way? The church has replaced Israel. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's exactly what they're saying without saying it. Y'all understand? I hope. I'm trying to get us, get us there. Listen, it was promised by the Father in Joel 2.28. And it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Peter repeats this in Acts 2.17. 2, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Listen, either, either, God's Spirit was poured out upon all flesh to Israel, or God's Spirit was poured out in all flesh to the Gentile. Which one is it? And the answer is, yes, at different times. Don't make them the same time because they're not. Let me end this because it's now 12.01 and i got to stop. Let me end right here and say this. Listen, I can't overemphasize what I'm about to say more than, and I really hate stopping right here. This is not where I intended to stop because this is almost like a cliffhanger, okay? But I apologize, okay? But it is what it is, and we got to do what we got to do. Listen, when God pours out his spirit upon all flesh as being spoken about in Joel, that doesn't happen until the tribulation period because the sun's going to be darkened and the moon's going to become blood. That happens at the sixth seal of Revelation. And you say, why are you saying that to me? What do I care? Because if you're a good Pentecostal or if you're a good charismatic church, Joel's their boy. That's their boy right there. They lo See, look what God did. That's it right there. That's us. Last time I read Joel, that was written to Israel. That had nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with us. So you got the whole Pentecostal movement and the whole charismatic movement teaching something. <laughs> it's wrong. It's very wrong. And I just got to ask a question. Do you think God's okay with that? Well, you know, God will work it out in the end. Where does it say in the Bible that God's going to work it out in the end? Let me tell you how God's going to work it out in the end. Either you were for me or you were against me. Do you understand that the Pentecostal church and the charismatic churches are believing in a false spirit? Have you ever watched, have you ever been to a Pentecostal or charismatic church? If you've never been to one or if you've bought into that, I'm just trying to please pray with you and tell you, be careful. Be careful. Running up and down the thing and dancing like dogs and barking and all that. Where? Where? Show me one person in the Bible that did that when they got saved. Show me one. That which has been, shall be. I could pull out a Babylonian Talmud and show you where in the pagan religions they did that. You think this might be serious? Because the mystery of iniquity is already at work. Lying signs and wonders. What do we call all that stuff? Signs and wonders. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I hope so, man. I hope you hear my heart on that. I'm not trying to diss those people. What I am dissing is that doctrine. It ain't right. It ain't right. And I'm really sorry that I got to stop right now. I really am because I had some more stuff that would have really probably massaged all this and we could really get some biblical Bible behind it so it's not just you hearing me say it. Uh, so hopefully you'll come back next week and you'll <laughs> get the rest of the story. <laughs> Isn't that how they say? And the rest of the story. All right, Father, we come before you, Lord. Uh, we just want to thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for uh, everything you do for us, Lord. Uh, Lord, we don't deserve you, uh, but you loved us anyway. And Lord, we are thankful for that. Uh, Lord, help us to be what you've called us to be. Help us be what you want us to be in you. Help us to be the ambassadors that uh, bring you the glory that you, uh, you, don't, you don't just maybe deserve. You very much so deserve. Uh, help us to be obedient to you. Help us to be submissive to you. Help us to, uh, to love you 
because you showed us your obedience and your submission to how much you loved us when you died on that cross. So, Lord, we thank you. Uh, we are grateful for you. We are thankful that we don't have to make this stuff up. We are thankful that you wrote it in a book for us, uh, that we can have it, we can uh, learn from it, uh, that you promised you would preserve it, and you did. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would, uh, we would be seekers of you. We wouldn't be seeking our beliefs of what we want to believe or how we think we should, or, uh, none of that. Let us just be believers of what your word says. And Lord, I think at that point we'll be okay. Uh, so Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing through this church. Uh, Lord, we have uh, uh, many people that are not here this morning for various reasons. Uh, I just pray that you watch over them, uh, keep them safe. Uh, I pray for Robert and April as they uh, drive back today from Douglasville. Uh, please watch over them, keep them safe. I pray that you would continue to, uh, to heal Gary. Uh, Lord, we do love him and we're so thankful uh, that he uh, has, and his wife has been a part of this church. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, uh, Lily. Uh, gosh, it's been a long time since I looked out in the crowd and not see Lily's face. Uh, but I know uh, she, you're going to watch over her. And Lord, uh, we just love you, Lord. We're so thankful for you. Uh, we thank you for this VBS. Would you uh, continue to guide it and direct it? And uh, uh, Lord, uh, it's our first year. We've got some things to learn, uh, but we know you're behind it. And Lord, so we love you for all that you do for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you give us a good rest of our day. Watch over us. Keep us, uh, our minds and hearts, through you. May we think on the things of you. May your word indwell us in rich, uh, richly. Uh, may we uh, just uh, be the people of God that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the church said? Amen. Amen. Y'all have a good, blessed day. Love you all, for sure. <laughs>